Not that long ago, a young man named Peter Benchley wrote a book called Jaws. It was a bestseller. A film was made from the book. It, too, was called Jaws. It has already made more money than any motion picture in history. Well, society being what it is, popularity means success, success means money, and guess what this report's about? Hello, divers. Coming to you from inside an abandoned projection booth in a dying mall multiplex, this is the Deep Dive Microcast. I'm Tom Feeney, raconteur, sommelier to the stars, and writer for Wang's Shop Movie Magazine, available on Amazon.com. This is a companion series of the Deep Dive Podcast where myself and my co-host Manda look at the lesser known and perhaps forgotten offerings available on streaming media. On this microcast, we'll dive into the history of the summer blockbuster. Was summertime always the season for huge big-budget movies? So pop some popcorn, keep on lots of butter-flavored seasoning, and get ready for this edition of the Deep Dive Microcast. On the last microcast, we delved into the history of the drive-in theater and how the current pandemic has increased drive-in attendance due to indoor theaters remaining closed. In the before times, the months between Memorial Day and Labor Day were considered prime time for the blockbuster. Blockbuster video! Wow! What a difference! No, not that blockbuster. That's another show. Traditionally, the summer movie season has meant huge box office returns for theaters. Now, in a year without blockbusters, movie studios are facing tremendous uncertainty. All the big tentpole films scheduled for release this summer are on hold for who knows how long. Some hugely anticipated 2020 movies have either been pushed until next year or haven't been rescheduled at all. Some of those films being postponed include a Quiet Place Part 2, Marvel's Black Widow, Wonder Woman 1984, Top Gun Maverick, the musical In the Heights, Christopher Nolan's Tenet, Disney's Jungle Cruise, and Ghostbusters Afterlife. As the major studios desperately try to reshuffle their release schedules for next summer, let's take a look back at how the summer season became the proving ground for mega movies. The term blockbuster was coined by newspapers to describe a type of large conventional explosive used during World War II. These bombs weighed several tons and were used to destroy military and industrial targets in Nazi-occupied Europe. The first known use of the term to describe a movie was in an advertisement placed in the Hollywood trade publication Variety. The ad, not ironically, was for the 1943 World War II film Bombardier. The three greatest things in a bombardier's existence are hit the target, hit the target, hit the target. These are the men who through courage, intelligence, and stamina emerge as America's Avengers of Wake Island, Bataan, Corregidor, and Pearl Harbor. To these men and the women they leave behind them, this picture becomes the living symbol of America's air might. The newspaper ad called the film, quote, the blockbuster of all action, thrill, service shows, end quote. The term was soon being used widely by Hollywood publicists 
to describe a movie that could have huge potential impact at the box office. At the end of the war, however, the term fell out of favor. But you can't keep a good noun down. The term came back during the 1950s and soon the word blockbuster became synonymous with a big motion picture and the wartime connotation was soon forgotten. So how did the summer become the season of the blockbuster? For the first 70 years of the movie industry's existence, that wasn't the case. Summer was when movies that weren't expected to do well were dumped into theaters. Studios believed that people were too busy doing other things like going on vacation, sitting by the pool, or going to the beach. It didn't occur to studios and theater owners that people might be looking for a way to get out of the heat. They thought it would take a miracle to get people away from the beaches and into the theaters. That miracle came in 1975. It was 25 feet long, weighed three tons, and had a lot of teeth. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. <laughs> Jaws, released on June 21, 1975, was the first true summer blockbuster. Why? Aside from it being a terrifying and suspenseful masterpiece of filmmaking, there were other factors involved in Jaws' success. First off, the original novel by Peter Benchley was hugely popular. Released in February of 1974, the novel sold millions of copies and stayed on the New York Times bestseller list for almost a full year. But that raises an interesting question. If the novel came out in early 1974, how did the movie get released less than a year and a half later? Well, movie producers Richard Zanuck and David Brown read a manuscript of the book before it was released. Feeling it would make a great movie, they bought the film rights for a paltry $175,000. A young up-and-coming director named Steven Spielberg was chosen to direct and the rest is movie history. During an interview while filming Jaws, the 27-year-old Spielberg talked about adapting the novel for film. I consider the movie a sequel to the novel rather than an adaptation. It's very, very hard. I had never experienced adapting a novel before, and, yeah. it's, it's, and Peter Benchley, who wrote the first three drafts of the screenplay, admitted finally that a screenplay and a novel are two different uh, you know, kettles of fish. So a popular movie was made from a successful book. Happens all the time. It happened before Jaws and happened many times after. Yes, it made a shark load of money and became one of the most successful films of all time. But the true secret sauce that made Jaws the first summer blockbuster was how it was marketed. As I said before, movies were usually dumped into theaters during the summer like so much bloody chum. Summer movies would open in a few cities at first, then trickle down to the rest of the country in drips and drabs, hoping to make back its investment before word of mouth killed the box office receipts. Remember, this was long before social media where instant movie criticism became the norm. Instead, Universal, who distributed Jaws, saw an opportunity. 
This wasn't a movie you could just dump into theaters. The studio heads believed they had a hit on their hands. It didn't seem right to release a movie that takes place in a sunny seaside resort town in the middle of winter. So Universal took a chance. Spending nearly $2 million in advertising and marketing, which is roughly $10 million in today's dollars, they bombarded television and radio with ads featuring the incredible vocal talents of iconic voiceover artist Percy Rodriguez. None of man's fantasies of evil can compare with the reality of Jaws. I'll catch him and kill him. Did you hear your father out of the woman now? This shark, swallow you whole. From the best-selling novel, Jaws, rated PG. Maybe too intense for younger children. What made Jaws the first true summer blockbuster is the fact that it was a summer movie. It took place during summer and had all the trappings. Hot weather, people on vacation, the beach, the water, the killer shark. You get the idea. At the time, Jaws seemed to be a perfect storm of timing, talent, and theme. It was, however, considered an anomaly, and the studios had every intention of repeating the same release strategies as before. The summer of 1976 bore this out, with only a few summer movies making any box office impression that year, including the World War II epic Midway and the supernatural thriller The Omen. While Jaws was the first, the era of the summer blockbuster would truly begin the following year, when a small independent film found its way into less than 50 theaters on May 25, 1977. Luke Skywalker was just a farm boy until he received a mysterious message from a princess. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. She's beautiful. Star Wars, starring Mark Hamill. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Harrison Ford. Boring conversation anyway. Luke, we're gonna have I think we took a wrong turn. Carrie Fisher. Good luck. Alec Guinness. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. 20th Century Fox presents the most extraordinary motion picture of all time, Star Wars. Here's where the fun begins. No legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as this romance of the future. Here they come. May the Force be with you in Star Wars. The unprecedented success of Star Wars cemented the summer movie season as the prime slot for big-budget, high-profile movies. The following summer of 78 held course with releases like National Lampoon's Animal House, the musical Grease, and of course, Jaws 2. The terror continues, but no one sees it. Chief Brody! The terror continues, but no one believes it. That's a shark, and I know what a shark looks like because I've seen one up close. And you better do something about this one because I don't intend to go through that hell again. With all those potential blockbusters on hold, perhaps until 2021, what will next summer look like? Movie studios and theaters spend a great deal of time, money, and effort to strategize how to pick just the right time to release their films. One thing is for sure, for both movie makers and moviegoers, there's a lot riding on the summer of 2021. 
that's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Next time on the Deep Dive Podcast, Manda and I dive into movies that have made a personal impact on our lives. Join us then for a very special Deep Dive Podcast. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. And we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at the Deep Dive Podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.com. All clips used in the Deep Dive Microcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive Lounge theme was arranged and performed by Robert Acorn, based on the original composition by Ryan Blaney. The Deep Dive Microcast is a production of Automaton Studios.